the observer's calendar for September 23 for September 2023 on episode 354 of the actual astronomy podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this podcast is for anybody that likes going out under the stars. So Shane, we, we had a brief chat about changing the title of these monthly what to see in the nighttime sky episodes. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll go with this new uh, title because we used to call it like objects to observe, but it's not always objects we're talking about. Some of these things are like, you know, the clear obscure effects on the moon. Um, and just other sort of junctions, positions yeah, of stuff. Yeah. Not really like when I think of objects and I think, I think maybe what we were thinking when we started that, is that we talk about like what messy objects and then we would also have some other stuff about what you can see in the nighttime sky like planetary arrangements but over time we've kind of just kept it at you know sort of a calendar of events what to see throughout the months uh in in the night sky and i was also thinking that since i edit the observer's calendar for the royal astronomical society of canada and because i create it in such a way to facilitate doing these i thought why just merge them together sort of kind of the same thing and i put so much time into the calendar to produce these i'm killing a bug here that um yeah just like let's just call it the same thing and then if people want they can buy the calendar and follow along and they'll you know have it permanently on their wall with some beautiful photos and this year there is a photo for the first time in the calendar by one of the listeners oh really that's neat richard Uh, covey okay what's the image of the image actually it's for you i feel like i i I will say what it is but it is it is you think i'm kidding but it's not it's for you it's an (laughs) image it no no it is it's a picture of the sun oh neat awesome love it and we we really broke the rules i we've never published an image of the sun quite like this before it is um not a whole solar disc typically in photos of the sun that we've had before it's a whole solar disc or maybe just a zoomed in section on like a sunspot or something this is like about a fifth of the sun it's like a big slice of the sun it's just this it's one of the most beautiful images of the sun that i've ever seen and he had sent it to me and i was you know i think you you maybe have seen it as well and i was duly impressed but I didn't think of putting it into the observer's calendar because I think I'm I'm only supposed to put images from people who are members of the RASC. And I wasn't really thinking about RASC members when I was looking at this image and it turned out Richard is a member. And Alistair Ling sent me the image again and said, you should put this image in the calendar. And then, strange enough, I can't remember who it was. Somebody else sent me the image and said, you should put this in the calendar. So I thought, well... I'm just really a volunteer building the calendar anyway. So there's not really any conflict of interest. And as well, two third parties without knowing sent me the same image and said that I should put that image in the calendar who just coincidentally ended up being one of our listeners. So I thought, well, let's put that in. Cool. Let's love it. Let's do it. Let's do it. So we have a few things to look at this month coming up. Shall we get started? We shall. Let's if, do it. If somebody wants to get started in amateur astronomy, I have a book here. Let's start with books. What are some good books that people 
could use to get started in astronomy, Shane? What might be some good titles? Well, we always talk about Night Watch. Uh, it's, uh, it's a really good guide to learn constellations as well as some of the brighter objects within those constellations. Um, so that's a good one to have. Um, another one is uh, the Sky and Telescope's Pocket Sky Atlas. Um, mm -hmm. Not only is that good for a beginner, but it really can last you your entire lifetime of observing. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of objects that will cater to small telescopes and big telescopes and binoculars, sort of whatever you're, you are using to look at the night sky. This thing will guide you and assist um, so those are the two main ones. You know, another thing to consider is um, like a, a little planetarium thing. Like you can get these plastic planetariums. Oh, that, yeah. You know, you can you can put in the date and the time, and then it basically gives you like a live up-to-date map of the night sky for your location. Uh, yeah. Now, these things are released based on your uh, latitude. So, you know, you do have to pay a little bit of attention to that to make sure it's within your region or your zone for latitude. But once you have yeah. that, it's a super handy reference for identifying the constellations in the night sky. And, you know, for a number of years when I got into the hobby, I used it like every night, uh, multiple times a night. And there's still the odd time where uh, I'll pull it out when I'm looking for a constellation that I may be just not as familiar with. It's a, it's a very handy reference. Hmm. That's really good advice. Do you, do you have do you know one off the top of your head? I never really use uh, those planispheres as much. I always want to get one. I just want to get one to put on my wall. I think they're really oh, yeah. yeah. Well, the the RASC actually is where I purchased mine. Um, so oh. if you go to rasc.ca, uh, there is a e store there, and they have um, uh, I think they have two. Yeah, and it's planisphere. I said planetarium by mistake, um, but they have one for kind of that like fifty degree latitude. But then mm -hmm. they also have one that is more like kind of Southern US, um, like around, okay. I want to say 20, 25 degrees uh, mm -hmm. latitude. It's all Northern hemisphere. I don't believe they have any Southern hemisphere um, uh, planispheres, but the, it's made from like a really robust, like sort of plastic that uh, stands up very well under the night sky. And I'm on the website and it looks like they have different ones now, but uh, there's one for 40 to 50 degrees and then another one for 50 to 60 degrees and they're eleven dollars and 25 cents canadian which if you're in any other country that's almost free yeah exactly and i think they even have copies of night watch there as well oh okay right on and then if you order in six weeks from now you'll be able to get the observer's calendar and you can just sort of bundle it all together for the shipping <laughs> there you go we should have jenna on the show Jen, jenna is our executive director there at the rasc national office and i've been driving her crazy um because i'm like i want to move the date for printing another few days because uh, michael and i are very particular in how we put this calendar together and uh we're almost there but we just we just like to let it marinate just a little bit longer just so it's it's extra, extra, uh, you know, savory, I guess, maybe the way to put it. Yeah, right on. If you want to get started in astronomy, Shane, if somebody wants to get started in astronomy, do they need a telescope? Should they buy a telescope first or where, where should they start? Well, there's really no wrong answer here. Um, certainly you can go out and buy a telescope. Um, now, 
you know, we typically recommend you buy binoculars first or borrow binoculars or even just use your eyes. You don't always need any, or there's times when optical aid isn't even needed to enjoy the night sky. Um, so keep all of that in mind. Um, and there's times when you and I take telescopes on destinations and we don't even use them. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we just use our eyes or sometimes we just use binoculars. Uh, so consider that. And, uh, you know, if you are in the market for a telescope, um, one thing that I think is super valuable is, uh, go to a local star party if you can, or join a local astronomy club if you can, and start to look through some of the telescopes there, uh, just about all amateur astronomers are very welcoming to share views through their telescopes. Um, and in, in doing that, you sort of get to try before you buy, which is a great thing. You know, you can look through different sizes of telescopes, different kinds of telescopes, and then determine which one might, you know, suit your needs, uh, the best. I always like the advice of getting the, the binoculars first, no matter how you cut it. I think the binoculars are really handy to have because well, they just fit in your hands. You can take them anywhere. They're just the ultimate portable piece of gear. They get you about halfway between what your eye sees and the, what the telescope will show. And one thing people uh, who are getting started off and don't realize is that when you look through the telescope, the images are going to be upside down or mirror reversed. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and the field of view is very small, so it's challenging just to point the darn thing. And you actually have to know where to point it and and that kind of stuff when when you're getting started you can use the computers in that but it, it it's one of those things where you really do kind of want to learn at least some of the uh orientation of the night sky and some of the stars and some of the constellations uh and and really typically even people like alan dyer who's one of the best astrophotographers in the world um he knows the the constellations he knows the stars and that's one of the reasons why his uh his photographs are so beautiful is that he he knows all that so it, it is definitely worthwhile learning even if you're going down the astrophotography route or if you're like me and you start and you see alan dyer's photos and you decide that you want to take photos like astro imagers and then you start doing that and you realize hang on wait a second i just like looking at stuff and hanging out with people under the night sky <laughs> <laughs> so Shane, if somebody wants to get a pair of binoculars, what do we recommend? Um, so weight is a big thing and magnification is a big thing with binoculars. Uh, if you have too much of either or too much of both, <laughs> you, mm. you won't handheld hand hold those with much, uh, enjoyment, uh, big binoculars and, or binoculars that have high magnification require some kind of amount, which complicates things a little mm-hmm. bit. So how much is too much? Well, what we, you know, my personal uh, recommendation, and I think you're aligned with this is probably nothing over eight times magnification, which is the yeah. first number of binoculars. So if they're eight by 42s, they're eight times magnification with a 42 millimeter objective lens. Um, so eight or lower magnification is ideal. Yeah. And, uh, you can find a lot of binoculars with that seven or eight times. Um, and that's, uh, that's going to really show you some cool things in the night sky and yeah. you'll start to see some craters on the moon. Uh, it, it really will blow your mind. Um, now in terms of weight, this is probably a little bit more of a personal preference and how you're built, uh, cause we're all a little bit different. Um, but you know, lighter is always better. So, you know, find, uh, find the eight millimeter or sorry, the eight times, uh, binocular 
and then just find the lightest one that fits your budget. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and you'll probably be uh, pretty happy with that because, you know, during the daytime when you're holding binoculars and looking at landscapes or birds or whatever it might be, you don't really notice how shaky you might be with binoculars. Uh, daytime stuff is much more forgiving, but at night when you're looking at a canvas of black with fine pinpoints of light, the slightest amount of movement is really off-putting. Um, so being able to hold binoculars steady is essential for astronomy. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, the eight by forties, I think are the real sweet spot. I actually use seven by 35s, which mm -hmm. I feel like they're kind of like a dream, but I, when I've used the eight by forties, I feel like there's not that much difference in heft but you can actually notice a fairly big difference in what you can see. And then going to something like a 10 by 50, you can notice you can see a little bit more, but you can't hold them for as long. So you don't see as much. So that's why I really like the 8 by 40s because you can hold them for pretty much the same length of time or as pretty much as long as you want. You aren't usually holding them for that, that long. You're just kind of raising them up, looking through for, I don't know, 30 seconds or a minute or something, and then putting them down again. But uh, I find like the 8x40s, it's a nice combination of how long you can hold it with the light gathering power and the magnification. You can really see the moons of Jupiter with them. You can see lots of nebula and star clusters from a dark sky site, and they can travel with you and go anywhere. They're pretty small and portable. A lot of the 10x50s now are getting to be fairly big and, and clunky. So I, I think the 8x40s are the way to go. Yeah, yeah, no, good recommendation. Any other getting started advice that, uh, that you can recommend? Uh, maybe the uh, the other one that I'll say is, and we've talked a lot about this too, Chris, but stay away from the white lights. Um, mm -hmm. Get yourself a red flashlight, preferably one that you can uh, change the brightness on it. Uh, because even a, a red light that's too bright will impact your night vision and, and your night vision is why we're, why we suggest a red light or maybe an amber one. Um, a white light will, um, really erase the, uh, adapting that your eyes do to the night sky. And it takes about a full 30 minutes, uh, to get, uh, dark adapted and a bright white light will ruin that in an instant and reset the timer. So, Get yourself a white or sorry, get yourself a red light so that you can Not see your star light. charts or red atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, that, that should pretty much get you on your way, uh, to, to start looking at some cool things. Speaking of cool things, are you ready to hop into what people can see in the nighttime sky this month? Let's do it. September 1st, Neptune is going to be 1.4, just under a degree and a half degrees north of the moon. Now, I don't think we can see this from North America. But for those that are, I think, over in the UK and Europe, I, I think you can actually see them pretty close. And then on the 4th, Jupiter is 3 degrees south of the moon. But again, I don't think that's for us. I think that's for other parts of the world. And then the next night, September 5th, Uranus is 3 degrees south of the moon. And again, I don't think that's for us. What, what all this means, though, is that the planets are really close uh, to the moon and they're also available in the sky at the same time. So we have Neptune, Jupiter, Uranus are all sort of on display. In fact, Neptune is going to be at opposition later in September on the 19th. Yeah, yeah. And Saturn is well positioned right now too. It's uh, that's right. starting to become a really nice object earlier on in the evening. So 
Uh, and that's just going to get better and better here for the next uh, few weeks. Yeah, exactly. September 6th is the last quarter moon. So that's uh, kind of talking about that. Like hopefully the smoke clears out for us by about that time. Hopefully these fires go out. Hopefully we get a little bit more rain in those areas so people can return home. And, uh, and you know, as just a side benefit, hopefully we can get out to do some astronomy, Shane, after the 6th of September. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Um, that always, that last quarter moon is always exciting because that, you know, is a harbinger of hopefully some good dark sky observing uh, coming up, you know, shortly after that. One of the neat things Mike was doing this year is he was watching Venus in the daytime sky. Do you remember mm -hmm. that? Uh, no, I don't actually. Well, maybe he just emailed me on it, but Mike was uh, was watching Venus in the daytime sky and then as it grew dark of, of course you could still see it but that uh, that got me thinking i should put some of these in we have a few stars that you can try to follow into the daytime sky with the unaided eye this week for example on september 10th that uh, the week of september 10th that is a good week to follow the star capella mm -hmm. into the daytime sky it's sort of in the uh for us anyway in the northeastern horizon and it's up in the constellation of Auriga, which is sort of like a like a late autumn or winter constellation. But in the morning skies, it's uh, relatively high up, so you can find the bright star Capella and then try following it into the daytime sky during the week. I'm putting that out as a challenge to Mike to see if he can do that. Hmm. Love it. And uh, like the, it's interesting because there's some of these objects, planets, some of the brighter planets in particular, um, that you can see during the daytime, but what the, the hardest part of this is finding them in a, you know, a bright sky. Mm -hmm. But if you can, if you can do like, if you can see Capella while it's still dark enough and then just sort of follow it as you know, the, the sun slowly rises, um, that's a great way to then follow it across the brighter, you know, like a daytime sky essentially. So, um, uh, that's a pretty cool opportunity. The other, the other star that we have, did I put it in here, is going to be Sirius on the 24th. You can follow that one into the daytime sky uh, that last week of September. Okay. Yeah, be, and that one probably would be a little easier to see too, just because it's brighter. I think so. Yeah. I think if, if somebody was looking for some training wheels on this one, that would probably be the one to start with. Yeah, right on. S September 15th. The zodiacal light is back and it becomes visible in the second half of September and it's visible in the eastern sky in the mornings. And what this is, is do you recall what this is now, Shane? Because they've had some sort of recent stuff on it. Um, yeah, uh, but go ahead. Um, I may be not up to date with the latest and greatest. <laughs> I think you chimed in last month with it, or not last month, but last time we talked about it. So the zodiacal light is light that is uh, it's sort of interplanetary dust. And they figure that the majority of it has actually come off of Mars now. And that uh, mm -hmm. this material is, is coming off of Mars. It's sitting in the uh, ecliptic or the plane of the solar system. And then the angle is just right. I, I did some reading on it um, this summer 
and I think I saved it, but I couldn't find it when I was making this up. But the angle gets right just after the middle of September, but there's only certain times that the angle is right. I saw in some other publications, they moved it ahead just to line up with the full moon or the, the when, when the moon is just past full um, earlier in the month. But you really need to wait until the last two weeks of September for the alignment to get right and also for the moon to be completely out of the sky. You really do need um, the moon to be out of the sky this month uh, in order to see it. So well past that last quarter. Okay, good to know. So um, hopefully we can I take think, a look at that. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And I, isn't new moon on the fourteenth or fifteenth, right around there? I can't. Remember. Yeah. So the new moon is right around there. Anyway, that's that's why I kind of dropped it on that date. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, it's within twenty four hours of that date. So yeah, Perfect. I put it on that date for the calendar. But I also did some. I've done some research on the zodiacal light, just so that uh, I know when we're telling people or I'm putting it in the calendar that I'm giving them the best opportunity to either see it or take photos of it or whatever to make sure that that angle is just uh, just right. But it it's like if you go too early, you might see it. And I've done this before because I was obsessed with the zodiacal light for a period in time. And I would always, I tried to see how many months I could see it. And you can see it outside of these um, spring and autumn periods. But the best the best times to see it are right around the uh, sort of early to middle part of October. So October will be uh, slightly better even still, but uh, once you get into November, you get off that angle again. So you really you really have about a, a five or a six week window in which to see it at its best every year. But again, you can see it outside of uh, outside of those dates. But again, like I said, I'm pretty particular about this stuff. I'm trying to give people the best shot at seeing it when they're at its best. And I think this is where it starts getting good is after the middle of September. Nice. September 19th, Venus is at greatest illumination, but I think it's pretty difficult to see now, isn't it? Yeah. I don't think it's rising too much for us now. Is that? uh... Yeah. I think it's still very low on the horizon either way. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I just put it in there just just to ask to see if you thought maybe it was worth trying to check out. But I I think it's sort of getting uh, very close to the sun. Mm -hmm. Um, But on the 19th, Neptune is at opposition. So that will be well worth looking at. Have you looked at Neptune in recent years? Uh, I think I had a quick look last year with the four inch. Um, Yeah, I'd have to double check my notes, but I believe I did. Yeah. And do you remember like what you saw with it or anything like that? It's not it, like I was just able to faintly make out a disc. Um, you know, I could tell it was non-stellar, but that's probably, that was about as far as I got. Yeah. It's, it's up there just, um, in the constellation of Pisces, uh, Pisces sort of has two branches. It's, it's on sort of that, uh, uh, westernmost branch kind of on the, border of Pisces and, and Aquarius. So you'll want to get your planetarium software running in order to hunt it down. And and I think it's going to be sitting at about 7.7 magnitude around um, opposition. So uh, bright enough to see in a pair of good binoculars, um, maybe even from the city, but from a decently dark site, I, I think that's going to be your best bet. And then um, if you can get a telescope on it, especially one that's 10 inches or larger, 
you might be able to see some of that sort of bluish coloring. I'm not sure. Have you ever seen that in a telescope? Yeah, like um, my my older Dobsonians, I was able to get some color even in my eight inch. Nice. Yeah. September 22nd, we have the Lunar X and the Lunar straight walls visible so Shane, what wow. what are these things and uh and how can people find them uh, they're on the moon but uh other yeah. than that yeah yeah so this is what we were sort of referring to at the start here while we, like this is not an object but it's sort of an event that you can observe on the moon so it's a clear obscure effect and it's just a shadow play there's there's peaks and valleys and ridges and all sorts of topography on the moon that changes in appearance to us based on how the sun is either lighting it up or putting it into shadow. And at different points in the lunar month, um, if the timing is right for your location, you can see some of these other things take shape with the, the shadows and the uh, illumination of, of some of these uh, topographic features. So one of the most popular ones is the Lunar X, and it, it uh, really is quite uh, striking like the where you'll see this is along the terminator uh, which is where um, the the light transitions into shadow essentially on the moon and on the sort of the dark side of that line you'll see this bright x and it's um it's a, a couple of different craters that have like kind of a high ridge that catches a little bit of sunlight just at the right time while everything else is not uh, illuminated so it's pretty cool and then the lunar straight wall is something similar. It's just that uh, it appears as a really dark black line that is quite straight, uh, which is very unique on the moon because everything is very jagged and irregular. Mm -hmm. um, so the straight wall is neat. Um, and then also every night when there's a lunar X, um, I think if you just kind of keep traveling up the Terminator, you'll see a lunar V as well that is kind of striking. And uh, the but all three of those will be pretty neat to see that night september 22nd uh well if you get up early in the morning on september 22nd so in the mm. early morning hours mercury is going to be at greatest elongation in the morning sky meaning that it's 18 degrees away from the sun so it actually is one of the better chances to actually even be able to spot mercury in the morning sky okay well, well worth doing. People should yeah, try to yeah. to hunt it down. I think it was that Copernicus had never seen uh, Mercury or something like that. Hmm. Did not know. September 23rd is the fall equinox. What is the equinox? Oh, equal day and night. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> equal, equal, yeah. equal day and night. Yes. 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 The, the equinox stands for when when the uh, sunrise and sunset are equally spaced out, so we get an equal amount of day and night, regardless of where you are on the surface of the earth. And then after that, things get to get very dark here very quickly, it always seems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, it's, uh, it, it, that, that's, that is one of the truer signs of, you know, the seasons are changing. Yeah. September 24th, large tides occur this week i just put this in just for fun for those that are on uh the coast because well that's when your large tides are going to happen just uh due to the orbital resonance between us the moon and the sun they kind of all compile to give you your largest tides of uh of the autumn season uh on the week of september 24th 
let's see september 26th saturn is going to be three degrees northeast of the moon on this night so be able to see that in your binoculars or a very small low power telescope but binoculars i think are are the way to try to see these uh lunar planetary pairings i think that i always enjoy them like that i don't know about you yeah well i i prefer them through a, a like a wider field telescope uh, just to get a little more power but certainly binoculars are quite pretty too and the moon is just about full and becomes fully full on september 29th Hmm. And that's it for what you can see. But there is a comet that was discovered by a person named Nishimura in Japan. I discovered on August 11th. And yeah, I saw this email that you sent. Pretty interesting. That, yeah, um, Gamyo Kagawa, yeah. Japan. I am probably saying that terribly. Um, but yes, discovered with a digital camera. And it was 10th magnitude and uh, has been low in the eastern sky before dawn. Uh, it has been observed visually according to Comets at Skyhound. I see Comets at Skyhound now has a video portion of Comets at Skyhound podcast type thing, five minutes long on Comets uh, every month. I think that's pretty cool. So uh, the person who runs it there at Skyhound said, uh, relatively easy to spot, even though it is low on the horizon yeah and i'm looking at Earth.net. uh they have it listed here getting to magnitude four <laughs> in september that's wild are we going to see it though uh i haven't looked at any of the charts so not i'm going to sure. see if i can look it up but i i doubt my software has been updated because one probably has to do that well it'll be in yeah virgo leo uh cancer Cancer at the start of the month and working its way over to Leo and Virgo. Okay. Yeah, yeah. How about some double stars? Uh, yeah. So this one, the first one I'll mention, I've mentioned many times before, cause it's one of my favorites, but this is, uh, the best time of the year to probably observe it. And that is all Mac in Andromeda. Uh, and why I like it so much, um, it's just a neat region of the sky. I always enjoy looking at M31, uh, but this pair is a very striking, uh, contrasting color. Um, so one of the stars is yellow. Um, and then the other one, the companion is blue. Um, so when you get these two beside each other, you really do get, uh, I, most people anyway, really do detect that difference in star color. And, um, you know, probably a more famous one is Alberio and Cygnus, but I find all Mac prettier. I just like it more. I, I feel like the color is a little bit more, uh, striking, I guess. So, uh, I always look at it and I look at it multiple times, uh, this time of the year. Uh, and then the other one is another, uh, interesting color, uh, contrast. Um, and this one is Miram, uh, and this star is in Perseus. Uh, so one of the stars is light orange and then the other one is a blue green pair. And, um, you know, both, both of these can be split with pretty modest telescopes. You don't need anything big or bold. Um, and they look great, uh, through, through any optic really. Um, but I've never looked at these actually with binoculars, so maybe I'll backstep on that, but certainly a telescope will, uh, uh, really be, you know, pleasing with these ones here. Nice. And that one you said, the one in Perseus is a blue green pair. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so the one star is orange and then the other one would be kind of a bluish green. It's a, it's a unique color. Um, 
see green, green stars are the rarest stars to see yeah yeah see if you can detect that color um you know, a color perception is, is, uh, you know, partly the optics you're using, but also your eye and not everybody sees color the same way. So, uh, I'd be curious if, uh, if you look at that one, Chris, just what colors you're able to detect. Yeah. I would like to see that. I'm just watching. I can see the moon here now, sort of the cloud is just skirting. I didn't know what it was. It was like some sort of strange reflection, but I mean, it's just, I just saw part of the moon kind of peek out and then the clouds kind of move back in over top of it so i have made my observation for the night so it is now time to go to bed (laughs) (laughs) do you have anything else to add to this the first and updated episode of objects to observe slash the observer's calendar for september 2023 shane nothing more to add sir well thank you for joining me this evening and dear listeners please subscribe and do us A favor, share the show with other stargazers you know. You can always send us your show ideas, observations, and questions to actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.